Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This week's offering is The Second Last Client by Yun Ha Lee, narrated by Judy Young. This story is copyright 2019. Yun Ha Lee's debut novel, Nine Fox Gambit, won the Locus Award for Best First Novel and was a finalist for the Hugo, Nebula, and Clark Awards. Its sequel, Raven's Stratagem, was a finalist for the Hugo. His middle-grade space opera, Dragon Pearl, was published in January 2019 from Disney Hyperion. His short fiction has appeared in Tor.com, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Clark's World magazine, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and other venues. Lee lives in Louisiana with his family and a very lazy cat and has not yet been eaten by gators. So, get ready to buckle up. We're going to light speed. The Second Last Client by Yoon Ha Lee Forty-six minutes and a trickle of seconds remained before the end of the world. This world, anyway. And I was trying to evacuate the second last client on my list. Some apocalypses come in with horns blaring and guns blazing and cascades of fire. Some apocalypses like to be obvious. This wasn't one of them. The humans had various names for their world. My partner, Rock, and I called it Seed World 722.11.15, which was our superior's label. We'd seen a lot of Seed Worlds perish, she and I. As worlds went, we'd arrived at a particularly nice corner of this one, a coffee shop. The air was rich with the aromas of whipped cream and heady brews and flaky pastry sprinkled with powdered sugar and crushed nuts. I don't usually drink, but Rock has a number of vices, and one of them is peppermint syrup. Just now, she had her tail curled around my neck and her talons digging painfully into my shoulder. I don't, in my native shape, have shoulders, but Rock liked having a perch, and I didn't want to scare the locals, so I'd created a human-shaped shell. At the moment, I was waiting in line for a mocha with a double shot of peppermint syrup. As for Rock, she had a but-don't-notice-me shroud. She knew better than to let the human see something that resembled a dragon with a lot of tentacles, especially if she wanted that drink. People chattered in bright, jaded voices or jabbed at their phones, glowing screens. A few couples smiled sidelong at each other. 
first dates going well. And then there was a student with holes in their sneakers, kneeling by a bookshelf labeled, Take One, Leave One. It was mostly full of unwanted textbooks, well-thumbed category romances, and aging mysteries. That bookshelf was the focus of my attention. The coffee shop played the kind of music that invites slow rain on a slow evening, although it wasn't raining outside. Yet. And when it did, it wouldn't be water. I could see beyond the ceiling with its whiskey-colored lights, up past the smear of sky and into space. I was always, always aware of the devouring matter that was on a collision course with Seed World 722.11.15, a weapon of ancient times. When it arrived, it would gnaw the Seed World and everyone on it into their constituent particles. The Seed World's inhabitants watched the skies with their own cruder instruments, but they had yet to develop the ability to spot such threats. Double peppermint, the barista called out. Rock's talons clenched in reminder. There are always more worlds, more peppermint syrup, I reminded her. This will be my last opportunity for it from this world, she retorted, snapping her beak just past my ear. Don't mess it up. I collected the drink and held it up. Rock grabbed it with her forepaws and gulped deeply. No one took any notice of her. Rock can drink raw plasma. She was in no danger of burning herself. It's a pity we can't save that one, Rock said without coming up for air. She was referring to the student. I hadn't paid them much heed earlier. A shock of black hair, medium dark skin with pock marks, fingernails sheened with bronze polish in an ongoing effort to stop from chewing on them, I saw more, of course, fluency in two languages and attempts to learn a third, the taste of the first girl they kissed, their favorite snack at 11 p.m., waffles with peanut butter. I eat stray quarks when I'm bored, so who am I to judge? Their name, too, although names are a private matter among my kind. What makes that one special? I asked. And then I saw. The student had picked up the book. The book. And hefted it. Started flipping through the pages. This wasn't the first time they'd nibbled at the story within. But the student frowned disconsolately, as though the comfort they sought was eluding them. Can't we leave them to it? Rock said. She had always been the more soft-hearted of us. We could hit up a different copy. I checked the progress of the devouring matter. That's cutting it fine. I'm fast when I shed human shape, but even I have limitations. Among other things, the nature of the work we do tends to warp the passage of time. Especially since someone insisted on peppermint syrup. Every world deserves to be honored with one last libation, Rock said. She bit open the cup, licked up the last sweet dregs of the drink, then casually crunched down the cup, lid, and holder for dessert. Since she had finished, finally, 
I could do what I had come here for. I left behind my human shell. Rock would puppeteer it as necessary and dove into the book. I was good at checking the records. The rest of the book might be empty of clients, but one remained. I was going to evacuate her no matter what it took. Every book contains a different world. For the most part, this one had been hollowed out by the previous evacuees. The work of my colleagues, even if they hadn't been able to persuade my client to leave with them. Still, I could glimpse the negative spaces left by the evacuations. A shadowy range of mountains reduced to brushstroke suggestions. A house by the sea made of plesiosaur bones, once the residence of a half-mer youth. A winter wood swept bare even of snow. The black-brown trees grasping at a sky empty of sun or moon, wind or cloud. None of those concerned me. Instead, I manifested directly inside an inverted spire that speared downward into a chasm of ice suspended on ropes of spider silk. There, my second-last client awaited me. She wasn't much to look at, even in the red livery of a royal servant. At the moment, she was kneeling before an empty throne. I'd arrived at a particular moment, specifically a flashback to the days when she was a girl, beholden to a great and terrible queen, hoping always for the queen's regard. Only later in her story would she rise above her allegiance. Only later would she sacrifice everything to help the story's heroine. Hello, I said. I didn't bother putting on human form. The characters in stories are less fragile in some ways than their readers. The girl looked up. She had a round, brown face, and her black eyes regarded me with the particular steadiness that had told even a tyrannous queen that this one would grow into something special. I could see why the student in the coffee shop adored her so. Hello, the girl said. Her voice was soft but not shy. Everyone else has already left, I said. It's your turn. I know, she said. She made no move to come with me. The world is going to end, I said. Sometimes it took bluntness. This world, with all its books and all the humans who would have remembered those books. You've done your job inhabiting this story for their benefit. She still didn't move. That's all very well, she said. Why can't you save the readers too? Or the writers, for that matter. Not my department, I said, with professional regret. It was a conversation I had every so often, the way some of my clients got attached. It's for the humans to save themselves or not. I don't have any jurisdiction over that end of things. But I do have the power to take you to sanctuary so you don't perish with them. Right now, right here, I still have a reader, she said, the student who loved her so. And a few more in a couple other places around the world under the covers past bedtime, in a library, 
one copy dog-eared in a boy's locker room. People read in the oddest places sometimes. She was holding me up, especially since I couldn't knock her unconscious, as if that meant anything to someone living inside the world of a book, and drag her away with me. It had to be voluntary. My superiors were very clear on that point. Rock, too, if it came to that. Please, I said. Everyone who has existed in the service of story gets their ticket out. The villains, the monsters, the creeps, the heroes, the sidekicks, the minor characters who show up in half a line and never appear again. Everyone. Now the girl was smiling. No, thank you, she said. It's a generous offer, but I couldn't possibly accept. I tried to conceal my dismay. Why not? If I can't save these last few readers, she said, the least I can do is accompany them on their way out, wherever they're going. I don't suppose you know anything about that. Unfortunately not, I said. Again, not my department. There's speculation, of course, but it's strictly above my pay grade. Dreadful penalties if I make things up, although that's never stopped the humans. Of course, the humans don't answer to my superiors. The devouring matter was accelerating toward this seed world, right on schedule. I had to get going. One last chance, I said. I respected the girl's calm dignity, but I did have a record to uphold. If you don't come now, I can't do anything for you. Her smile turned slightly pitying. Is that all you've learned in your profession? Of course, there's something you can do that isn't forcing me to abandon this student. And the kids reading past bedtime, and the librarian who's abusing her privileges to renew an old copy of me, and that one teenage boy who isn't allowed to read fantasy at home. And what's that? I said. By this point, I was resigned to my failure. You can tell your colleagues the story of how I stayed behind. She rose then and rested her hand on the arm of the throne. In that moment, she looked more like a queen than many I have escorted to safety. That I will do, I said. I manifested in human shape long enough to bow to her. One final curtsy, then exited the book. Rock looked anxiously at me when I re-entered my human shell. You don't have her, she said, quite redundantly. No, I said. She wouldn't come. I'll tell you about it on the way to the last client. Rock made a sad mirroring sound, and I reached up to scratch her under the chin. Then we left behind our physical forms and traveled with invisible wings to the last client, while the world's end sped inexorably closer. Welcome back. 
You've been listening to Judy Young reading The Second Last Client by Yun Ha Lee. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2019 by Lightspeed Magazine. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon at lightspeedmagazine.com support. This month's sponsor is Lethe Press. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rubnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.